Hi, hi, it's Joy Foster, founder of Tech Pixies uh, and the host of the Sparkle and Thrive podcast. And we have an amazing woman here today who's going to talk about the opportunity for women to use their vast amount of experience to enhance boards. So Sarah Pierman, thank you for being here with us today from Dynamic Boards. Tell us a little bit about you, what you do, and um, why this is such an important topic for women to be aware of. Yeah, thank you, Joy. So uh, I'm a woman, I'm on boards, and uh, I'm definitely passionate about trying to encourage lots of you to consider uh, becoming a non-executive director or, or a charity trustee or a board advisor. There's so many different roles out there. And of course, the chair role as well. Uh, once you've gone into boards, not enough women are chairs too. So um, for me, I guess when I look at the women on boards landscape, I think um, there's a heck of a lot of profile and some really encouraging, great headlines that have hit the news uh, that are very much focused on FTSE boards. So you might hear that we now have got to not gender parity, because uh, that'd be 51% in the UK, um, but we've got women that are on boards like 35%, 40% of the time. And that's great, but it's not representative of boards across the UK. Like FTSE boards are a very, very small number of boards. There's boards across all sorts of industries um, and of all sorts of scales and size. So I, it frustrates me sometimes that people think, oh, it's great. We've kind of done the gender thing, haven't we? Haven't we got women on boards already? You're like, ah, no, we've got a long way to go. And they're just talking really, like you said, about a subset of boards, this FTSE 100 board, which is there's really like 100 companies in that. So yeah. that, that's the... And they're about the FTSE 350, that's like 300. Yeah, it's still 350 companies. There's <laughs> <laughs> still all the rest of the UK. And what I yeah. hear is happening at the, at the top, it's not representative. So lower mm. down, you know, every board I've been on, I'm generally the only woman on the board. Um, and I think for most people, that might be their experience if they're listening as well. Um, so and we need to see change across the market. One thing I didn't realize until I spoke with you and met with you is that a lot of board positions are paid. Um, I mean, some are voluntary, of course, but and I think women, uh, by no fault of their own, just tend to gravitate towards the the, the free, you know, the the voluntary board yeah. options. But but the reality is, you are connected to a lot of people who are willing to pay to have the right person sitting on their board advising them. So, talk to us about about the opportunity for a woman with experience in various different areas to actually make uh, the make a difference for a company, but also to be able to make an income from it. Yeah, so for me, I'm 35 and I've been on four boards now. Um, and the first one, I was a charity trustee when I was 26. And then when I was 29, I joined the board of a specialist bank. Um, so one, that first charity trustee role was unpaid. Uh, as most charity trustee roles are, although there is an exception in charity governance code that now says you can pay to help encourage diversity on that board, uh, which lots of people don't know about. So I think charities could occasionally be paying. Uh, but the other three have been on um, company boards. So all three of those have been paid board roles. And I think, yeah, there's a lot of people that don't realise um, there's boards of all different shapes and sizes that need skills um, and a real variety of skills. I think the traditional view is probably that you need accountants on boards <laughs> and um, and ex-bankers like me. Um, but actually, boards need a heck of a lot of different skills. And when you think about the challenges that organisations like the NHS, like housing associations, like a manufacturing business in Wales, think about the, the skills that they need. It's going to be right across the spectrum. All mm. boards need people who have experience of HR, people who know about marketing and how to communicate your brand 
people that are good at listening to customers. There are so many different skills that boards need and some that they're good at recognizing they need and others slightly less so. So I think that's where you can kind of look at an advert and say, I know this business. <laughs> I think you need something else as well. Um, so it's worth being a little bit tuned to that. But yeah, there's there's so many different boards out there. So we see lots of roles that are advertised in the housing association market, NHS trusts, um, building societies, uh, small private companies, larger private companies as well sometimes. Um, I think there's lots, there's loads of other sectors as well. And there's lots of public sector bodies as well. So there's a vast amount of organisations out there that, that are looking for non-execs. So the big message that I would have to your listeners is, is start having a look. So when I became a non-exec myself, um, I started chatting to other people about it and they said, oh, I looked into that and I found this site and you had to pay to view the board roles. And I've never had to pay to see jobs in any other sector or any other market before and it put me off. So I just didn't bother. And I feel like for too many people, that's been their journey of exploring non-exec roles. They've been put off by one conversation with a headhunter, somebody they spoke to, or by the online market that has said uh, they had to pay. So in response to that, I thought, look, we're all talking about diversity on boards. We want to see a genuine mix of people on boards. What could we do? Um, so I set up Dynamic Boards three years ago. Uh, we launched and we advertise all the non-exec roles in the market. So generally, we put about 100 live roles a month. Um, and they're nearly all paid non-executive board roles. And it's totally free to join because <laughs> I thought I can't be part of this problem. And um, I've got to try and solve it and make it make it open access. So um, we see we, we're growing all the time. Lots of people signing up, spreading the word. So please do uh, check it out. Tell your friends. But it's dynamic. So boards. you can go to the website and then you can fill out a profile and it, it talks about your skill set and it talks about what the industry you want to be in. And it sort of gets gets you pointed in the right direction of roles in your area that might use your skill set and all that good stuff so it's really a unique experience I did it myself I thought it was important <laughs> yeah to share yeah. that information and also I just think you know I know for me we've had um, various different boards when I was very first starting out I had sort of a, a board of my peers who were running you know, social enterprises and had had that experience and they would come and share with me their experiences, which was great. And then I moved on to having an investor advisory board. And then now I'm actually more in the, you know, at the place I'm in at the moment, actually, I thought, well, what I really need are to improve my skill set in certain areas. So I'm going directly and getting advice and support in that way. But, you know, I know that the idea, depending on the size of your company, not everyone needs a board per se, but as the companies get, as a company gets bigger, it does need a board for governance reasons and other reasons. Yeah. Um, let's okay. talk about the roles. Well, the roles that are available within a board, you already mentioned yeah. the chair position is a big one, but there's other ones too. There's um, the secretary role and there's some other roles. Um, so let's talk about the, the roles within a board. And then also let's talk about the, the time commitment and, and the possible uh, remuneration that's available for, for people who are interested in it. Yeah. Just to touch on what you said before that, Joy, I think it is really important to establish a board that fits the organization, the structure. So I'll give you a really good example. A company came to us and they said, look, we're 108 years old. We're a family owned business. We've never had a non-family member on our board like oh that's interesting they said but if we look around our family we don't actually have like a great mix of skills <laughs> so when you think about the conversations we're having at board level we don't have anyone who gets tech and they're an international logistics business like ah okay 
so how they were talking to me about what could we do? And I said, well, if I were you, I wouldn't get non-exec directors because mm. then they have voting rights. And as a family, you've held on to the voting rights for this organization for 108 years. You don't want to change that. I would get board advisors. So pay them to come, give you advice. They have no decision-making power and you must make the decisions yourselves, independent of them. But you get to get their input. So I think you're totally right, Joy, about the Tech Pixies journey of working out like, okay, what stage are we at and what board yeah. fits? So what kind of anyone, board do we need? Yeah. yeah, if anyone wants to have a chat about their organization and their board and uh, and what they'd be, what, what they could advertise to try and find, um, then up for a chat about that. Um, but yeah, coming back to board roles. So... Mm-hmm. Charities tend to have trustees and companies have directors. So the quirky thing is a company director is listed on company's house as a company director. Whether you're the chief exec or a non-exec director, you're all a director. Non-exec director is a really weird word because there's not many roles that are defined by what you're not. So you're not an executive director, but you are a director. Um, So you're legally liable and personally responsible um, for the activities of that company, but you're not involved that much. So there's a real tension to the role and how you manage that. Um, but it's a fantastic, I really recommend it. I think it's a fantastic role. It's a great opportunity to be involved in the strategic governance of an organisation. And if that's something that you're interested in and have a passion for, but haven't necessarily done in your normal day job, um, then it's, it's, it's a great role to get into. So non-exec is probably the classic main role. There's a lot of different titles that you'll see. So it's worth teasing out what what the role really is. So sometimes you'll see board member and then you're like, okay, is this a company? Is it a charity? Is it a trust? What's the structure here? Community interest company. I'm actually just spending some time working out what the organization is to understand that governance structure. Part of that will be understanding what um, governance code it falls under. So I think that's probably getting the technicalities, but it's quite useful to understand that. So is it the Companies Act? Uh, is there some other governance code, like lots of housing associations have um, the National Housing Federation code of covenants that they they subscribe to? So there's a bit of a mix out there. So understanding what you're signed up to. Um, often lots of the things we see are non-execs and then the chair of the board. Um, so that's ultimately who the chief exec re- um, reports into and all the rest of the board. Uh, and then there's often chairs of subcommittees. So there's lots of subcommittees on boards, <laughs> depending on the board structure. So if you're on a bank, you might have an audit committee, a risk committee, remuneration committee, a nominations committee, which is kind of the people side of things. How you decide like who's uh, how you're going through an interview process, perhaps for a new exec or non-exec. Um, and then the one that you might not have heard of is a senior independent director, which is basically like a vice chair. And the idea of it is to put someone on the board that you can formally go to if you have a challenge that you've, A, not got the response you wanted from the chair, um, or it's about the chair, um, then that sort of vice chair, senior independent director role is quite helpful. I think those are the key ones, Joy. Are there any others you wanted to ask about? No, I think those are great. Well, I was thinking as well, just roles within. So you've got the chairperson and then you've got... Sort of the sec. I the, I find the secretary um, role very interesting because actually uh, it's not it's not the se- secretary role that we would traditionally think of. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's actually quite a very um, it's very different than what we would think of as a traditional secretary role. So maybe explaining what that particular role is. Yeah. So um, the company secretary on a board it obviously depends on the size of organization. Yeah. And um, but particularly for larger organizations, the company secretary role is kind of like the head of governance for the organization. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so they're not there just writing notes. You might even have a separate minute taker as well as a company secretary. They're kind of there to make sure that the governance is being executed appropriately and all of the corporate duties of the organization are being met. So it's like governance compliance. I mean, it's like, yeah. yeah. It's, but it's yeah. definitely a more senior role than I think yeah. I'd appreciated earlier in my career. Yeah. Um, and when it's done well, it's like, the lubricant oil that makes the whole thing work well. Yeah. Um, and when it's not, you can kind of notice when you're on a, another board that doesn't have um, that kind of role in place. So yeah, company secretary is a fantastic role. It's not generally, it's not one that we would advertise because I don't see it as a non-executive board role. It's part of the executive function of the organization. Okay. Um, yeah. If that's helpful, yeah. So so if you had if you had a company secretary, that would be an actual role within your company or is, yeah. is that what you mean? Yeah. yeah. That's how I see it. I don't, it's not part of like the non-executive director function. Right. So it's it. So it's the person in your company that would actually be in charge of compliance governance effectively. Yeah. 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 The charity trustees, you often get a bit of a merging between all these things. So they might ask someone to be a trustee and then also to be the secretary at the same time and things like that. And I guess it's just worth being really straight up about what that includes and entails and how much work it's going to be because I think often charge trustee roles that almost depends if it's a grassroots organization they sometimes are asking you to do quasi-executive work right and let's talk about the sort of remuneration that's available for a board role because it's not it's not a full-time job it's not even a part-time job it's not something that you're doing every day every week it's um, they're they're all unique in their structure but the ones that are coming across your desk, like what is the commitment and what is, what's the range of, of income that someone can make as a board? Yeah. So there's a, there's a really big mix. <laughs> so when we talk about those fancy board roles, that, that sort of pay is, um, yeah, is, is going to be pretty significant. Um, but what we more commonly see uh, with dynamic boards, uh, I'll give you a bit of a sense. So I'd say overall, the average is around two days a month uh, for a board role. There's quite a mix of organizations that when they say two days a month, they mean two days where you could not be in another workplace. Mm -hmm. You would need to be totally available for this board. Others say two days a month and they really mean three hours where you're actually, <laughs> no, it couldn't be in your other workplace and you would need to be there. Or they might mean it's like one evening a month. Mm. Um, so for, when they say two days, you have to really look at the small print of what does that mean? And yeah. how are they structuring their board meetings? Because for some people, the time commitment could mean this is really prohibitive to make it work alongside um, a full-time role. And in other instances, it's not at all. So don't judge it basically just by the number at the top. Um, also know that when you join a board, you're there uh, through thick and thin. So you can't just leave when something goes wrong. You have to support the organisation through that kind of time. So there'll be time when it isn't a big drain on your time. And there'll be time when it is. And I think for me, I would say it's definitely been double or treble um, at, at some points. And then maybe ever so slightly under other points. Um, so you need to have that flex um, in how you work. So that's a bit on days. I'd say there's a couple of exceptions. When you go to chair roles, it's generally a little bit more time. Um, depends on the organisation and how they structure it. The NH NHS trusts are usually around a day a week. So if you're going to go for a role like that, you'd need to think about whether that really worked okay. alongside what else you're doing. Your, it could be your portfolio career, retirement, um, your own business. You know, who knows what situation you're in. And then in terms of pay, I've got our pay data up here. I'd say there's a real mix between sort of 
five grand and 30 grand. That's so for a four years commitment. Yeah, that's that's sort of the annual. What we talk about it as director's fees rather than salary, um, because salary you generally associate with employment. Right. Um, whereas you're not employed by the company, you're contracted for services. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, generally somewhere around the five to 30 mark. Um, so 30 might be more like a building society that you're on the board of. And five could be a smaller housing association. Um, NHS, NHS trusts are usually 13 grand. Um, and then there's a whole mix in between. <laughs> so I'd say um, it's worth looking at the market and seeing what's out there. But obviously, there should be some relationship to how many days a month that entails. But there isn't always quite as much logic as you'd think. <laughs> because <laughs> there's not that much standardization in this industry. Well, so and a big part of it is is what is valuing this, the, the skill set that you bring to the table. Yeah. You know, if they want, if they want someone who's got a really a real head for marketing and and you know uh, growth and all that stuff then that's that might be remunerated differently than you know a different role but i think what's interesting is it's it's sort of what's what they have within their budget but then also what the skills and expertise they're looking for yeah and I'm also when you get into when into get into footsie boards and larger organizations you know there'll be people being paid like 100 grand 200 grand for a non exec role yeah, um, well, in America, there's obviously a big spectrum there, and and you know, fifty grand is quite common once you get into this smaller listed market. So, um, yeah, full spectrum out there, just like there is for executive roles. You know, you get chief execs not paid that well, and and those that are personally, I think, all serious governance roles should be paid. So, for example, if you're on the board of a university, universities have huge budgets, and often their board members aren't paid. And they often have a drive for diversity. And I have met so many people from Black, Asian and minority ethnic backgrounds that have been encouraged to join boards to do a heck of a lot of work for an organisation with a huge budget and they have not been paid. Hmm. That makes me really frustrated. So I I think... And the reality is there are organisations who are willing to pay for your time, talent and expertise. So if you have the option to go for one where you are paid versus one where part of that is the prestige of working with a particular university. But still... There is a point where you sort of have to think, actually, this is also this is a career for some people. You know, they're not there. They have a portfolio, non-executive career. And what I wanted to do with the podcast episode was to open up the possibility. I mean, I'm thinking of a few tech fixies in my mind right now. And if you're listening and you know who you are, which you will, um, you know, who would be a perfect fit for this and and would enjoy it immensely and would do a tremendously good job. Yeah. So, um, and 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 love the the you know the the fact that they can get paid to do it. So, you know, that to me is very um, is very special. But I don't think women know it's available to them, and that's why I wanted to do yeah. this podcast. And I love, you know, that you know you're sort of a trailblazer in this space in the sense that you saw a problem and that it wasn't accessible to people that you know, really would ben- would make a big difference. And so you created an opportunity and a way to get into that. Um, so you've got a, about 100 new roles coming up every month and they obviously are also getting filled. Um, and, and the other side of your business is actually helping people, not just connecting people, but also helping people find exactly what they need if they, if they are looking yeah. for something very specific. You've got the ability to do that. Yeah, so we, we don't ask people to pay any money to join our site, but the one thing we do ask, as Joy mentioned, is to fill in a form. So we ask for people's data, and it works so beautifully because that's what we monetize. So when we talk to companies, they say, we are looking for someone that lives in the southwest of England that has 
this particular skill set and we don't mind if they have any prior board experience but we just need that skill set and people who live in that area for this board and then we've got a database that we can filter through and say oh we've got that many people that meet this brief and if they have an all-male board they might well say we'd particularly love to encourage women so we might send an email just to the women that live in that area and say look please check out this role have a look so for our candidates they love getting those personalized emails when they come that particularly encourage them to apply for a role and for the our clients they really appreciate being able to do that like targeted email campaign it's it's incredibly simple and very effective um so you say yeah that's our business model that's how it works yeah i love that but i also just love the fact that you're helping both sides, you know, the company that knows they specifically need someone. And actually, that's how we were introduced. It was through a tech pixie who is also an investor and sits on our board. And, you know, she she loves the work that you do and thought that it would be important for us to connect. And actually, and, and when we started talking, it was like, oh, my gosh, women really need to hear that this is an opportunity for them, yeah, uh, a real opportunity for them. And, you know, the sooner you get started, the the more of a reputation you build, the more experience you gain. And and then the more also remuneration that you can command as you move your, you know, as yeah. you move your way up. So um, one, of, one of my key messages would be like, get started early. Yeah. Um, so if, you demonstrate uh, yourself by starting at 29, right? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, starting at 26, because I was a chance trustee. And then earlier when I worked um, at a big bank, I set up something internally to encourage people to be community leaders. So to volunteer, you know, as youth leaders, scouts leaders, just get out and do something, help run the, run the rugby club or whatever and I found loads of people already doing those sort of activities and they really wanted to inspire others to do it and and actually kind of when I look back at every stage of my career and of my education I was always setting something up <laughs> and getting something going and looking at sometimes creating excessive governance structures for things like getting 10 senior stakeholders that are all bought into this and things like that and I look you back you were born like, to do this so I love myself but I think actually all of that stuff gave me good exposure to how to relate to other people and often people that are older than you or more or more senior than you um, in those kind of environments. And I think one message would be get get exposure whatever way you can to strategic decision making. Mm, that yeah. doesn't mean you, yes, you have to join a board today. You might be 18 listening to this <laughs> uh, and maybe you are fit to join a board tomorrow. But it might be that you just need to get some of that strategic decision-making experience. You know, I remember. And I think, you know, our, our average listener is probably majority, not all, but majority of our average listeners are like between the ages of 40 and 60. And mm. actually they've, they've got this strategic experience. Yeah. They just haven't <laughs> been playing with it recently. Yeah. So I think that's, what's exciting. That's why I really wanted to do this podcast because, and it, it, it is inspiring for the young person who doesn't have any strategic experience that they jump out and get that. But also for those women who are listening to this, who go, wait, hang on, I've got loads of strategic experience and I didn't know that I could do two, two days a month and get paid for it and, and still be able to have the flexibility in my life that I would love. You know, that's yeah. a really, uh, that's a big gift. And also. And Joy, you know, I think historically this has been a gift that's been reserved for retired, predominantly white men. Yes. And you think of all of us doing caring responsibilities for parents looking after kids, uh, whatever else you might have going on in your life. If you're managing a portfolio life, um, as many, many women are, um, then actually this can really help with that flex. If you're doing something really creative that doesn't have a guaranteed income stream in one area of your life, then this can provide a steady income stream in another area of your life. And I think for me, the flexibility that non-exec work brought me meant that I could start dynamic boards. 
and it made no money at the beginning. <laughs> so as you can imagine, we had to build the customer base, um, candidate base. So, you know, for me, it's actually worked. I've practiced what I preach. Like this, I do still do one board role. I'm a vice chair of a banking and software company. And I do that alongside dynamic boards. And it's brought me tremendous flexibility um, to be doing what I'm doing. And I really enjoy it. Well, and part of that flexibility, I mean, we, we, I never usually do afternoon interviews, but we were able to be flexible and do an afternoon interview because that works with your schedule and your family life. And that's what I love about, about what you've created for yourself. So, you know, you're a young mom and you've got the ability to do what you want to do with your family around all the responsibilities that you have. You're building a company and you've got a board position. And I think, you know, what you've been able to accomplish uh, is really incredible. And it's a it's a real testament to what can be done, no matter what stage uh, of of parenting you're at. Yeah, but, you know I love your your sort of the, the fact that you've built this around uh, a young family, and I think that's yeah. Beautiful. Thank you, Joy. And and you know I've got a one and a half year old, and uh, when he was born, I decided I basically was going to do a flexible mat leave, so I was going to work when it suited me, um, which basically when he napped and when I had childcare support. Um, and my husband worked flexibly and he took some shared parental leave and it actually ended up being a really, really, especially that first year, just a fantastic mix. Um, so I stayed with my board role throughout the year. It meant that I joined remotely at the start of the year. And then as the year went on, I went in person and my mum came too. And the company provided a room that I could have dedicated as for the day, although my mum didn't spend the whole time in the office because that would have been really boring for my son. Um, but I went in there and breastfed. <laughs> I, breast, I just nipped out of the office, but stayed on the call, went and breastfed him, then came back in. Like there was huge flexibility to it. And I think for me, I felt like I'm writing the story myself. Like there's no, I think there is a historic thing of the type of people that end up on boards. It's clearly not me. <laughs> I'm there now. I've got a baby. How do I balance this? Let's make it up and see how it goes. And it's worked really well. And I hope for other people that are and um, mums all balancing other things in their life they think do you know what there's ways you can make this work there's lots of boards that are supportive of, um of people that are doing other responsibilities uh, and and kind of just ask and i do see occasionally on adverts now um they say maternity and pregnancy welcome or something there's like a phrase that they're adding that says basically well We'll work it out. We'll work it out. I love that. Well, thank you for educating us all on the possibility of this opportunity. I know some women will be listening to this and they will want to go check out your website. So remind us again what the website is so that people can go sign up and get onto your candidate list. Yeah, dynamicboards.co.uk. Okay, brilliant. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Joy. Fun to be with you.